It's good to see everyone tonight. Welcome to Bible study. We're glad you're here. Yes. I'm glad to be here, uh, and I'm glad you're here. And so, since I'm here and you're here, that means we're here. And it's our time together. It's our time. It is. Our time. All right. So, let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to meet and to really just uh, hear from you. And we pray that we do hear from you tonight. We ask that uh, you would just anoint your word and that we might uh, receive something that would change us, something that would challenge us, something that would affect us in some really good and positive ways. Just ask you that we'd have ears to hear and that we, our hearts would be open, our minds would be open, and we'd be ready to receive what you have for us. We give you this time, and we ask that you would have your way and speak to us tonight. If we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're going to open up to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. Luke chapter 17, our verses will be 12 through 18. Luke 17, verses 12 through 18. Would anyone like to read that for us tonight? Don. 10 through 18? 12 through 18. 12 through 18. Yes, sir. I got it now. Yes, sir. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Why not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give grace to God except for this foreigner? Alright, thanks for reading that. So here we have a story of ten lepers. And uh, as you look at it, I'm just going to go over some of the details of it, but uh, some of the ideas in it, I think, are what we, we need to hear, what we want to look at, or some of the things that happened there, and some of the ideas that you see. Uh, leprosy, of course, was a major issue uh, as far as disease, communicable diseases were concerned during that time. Uh, it was addressed in the Old Testament. Uh, there were rules and regulations if people got skin issues. If you've ever read the Old Testament or you've read Leviticus or Deuteronomy, uh, there are verse after verse of regulations concerning people with skin problems. Right? If you get a red dot, you get a white patch, you get a, a yellow substance oozing out of anything. I mean, like all of these type issues are covered in detail and one of the reasons that is is because uh, as a disease they were afraid of it spreading and they were afraid of it becoming a bigger problem than it was and so it seems that they were going to err on the side of the the most caution and that's what they did and so uh, these men that were here these ten lepers the Bible says that they were standing afar off. Yeah, that was required. That's what was required was them to stand afar off. There was a certain distance they had to be away from people. And so the Bible says they were standing afar off and they were yelling over to Jesus because they were that far away from him. So we look at uh, Leviticus 13.46. I think that's one of the regulations for lepers. Leviticus uh, 13.46.
Leviticus 13.46 As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Alright, so what that verse tells us is that what was expected of the lepers was that they were to live somewhere else. Now, what's interesting about this is that nine of these lepers apparently were uh, possibly non-Samaritans. They were Jewish people, and one was a Samaritan. So at least he's the only one that's identified as a Samaritan. And so you have this, regardless of whether they were all were, they all weren't, or it was nine and one, or there's a different ratio, what you have are people living together because their leprosy trumped their nationality, their leprosy trumped their religious affiliation, their leprosy trumped their beliefs, their leprosy trumped everything, and forced these people together. So they were identified more so as lepers, and you read the beginning of this, it says he was met by ten lepers. It didn't say nine Jewish lepers and one Samaritan leper, right? Ten lepers. Because them having leprosy trumped everything else that was going on in their lives, including where they were from, what was going on in their lives, who, you know, who they, uh, what they believed, and all the rest of that kind of stuff, where they were born. So, that's kind of important. And so I want you to think about that while I continue on. I want you to think about that this disease was more important in their lives, more important in their society, more important to the people that were describing them, dealing with them, not dealing with them. Even the people writing this account, even Luke, the physician, he's a medical doctor, writing this account, the fact that they had leprosy was more important and it was a bigger issue than anything else. Now, and you think about how Jewish people thought about non-Jewish people, all right? And how they're described in the scriptures. Because the Jewish people considered themselves God's chosen people and God's blessed people, and they considered everybody else to be, you've heard this before, dogs. Yeah, except for lepers. They're just lepers. All right? There this is just who they are. There's lepers. So there's not God's chosen and dog. God's chosen people and, and that non-chosen person, it was just ten lepers. That's just who they were. So they had an identification. They, they had, and I mean, it's, it's a horrible way to go, too. Uh, I can remember as a kid, my grandfather was in the army in World War II, and as part of his, what his unit did, they came up through, from the south, through the Philippines. Uh, as they were liberating the Philippines and heading toward Japan, preparing for a full-scale invasion of Japan. That was before the atomic bombs were dropped. But he recounted stories of going through the Philippines and seeing people with leprosy and running into people with leprosy, living in their own camps, living in their own towns. I mean, just whole groups and bunches of leprosy, uh, people that were lepers, and, them, and he, he would tell me how they looked. And pieces of them falling off and and just how grotesque it is and what a disease it is what a, what a gruesome disease it is and it is a gruesome disease and so these people they live together i guess if you live with a bunch of lepers you really don't notice i mean you might i guess like if your finger fell off you might notice if a guy's nose is falling off i guess i mean i don't know but you're all in kind of the same boat together so, and whatever's happening to them may be happening to you next. And whatever's happening to you may be happening to them next. And so, it would seem like you're more conscious of one another in one sense and less conscious of one another in another sense. More conscious of we're in this together, less conscious of I wonder what body part Joe's going to lose tomorrow. All right? And, and probably not as grossed out by it as most of the people that they would run into. So there they were. There they were yelling at Jesus. Ten lepers yelling at Jesus. And it says they were lifting up their voices saying, and they had to lift up their voices because they were so far away. Jesus, Master, or Rabbi, same word, 
have mercy on us. That's what they're asking. They, they may have heard Jesus heals the lepers. I mean, we're in Luke 17. That's 16 chapters of healing, right? Just about. I mean, well, not exactly because the first two, there's not really a lot going on. But, you know, there's a bunch of chapters of healing that came before this. So they may have heard of Jesus. They probably did. And, uh, and there he was walking by. So they're going to take their shot, right? What you got to lose? You got anything to lose? You living with a bunch of lepers? Your skin's rotting away. Their skin's rotting away. Sitting there with nine other people and you see Jesus walking by. You heard that he, he's cleansed a few lepers. You heard he, he's a healer. And he's done this before. What do you have to lose? What are you going to do? You're going to jump up and yell. Jesus, Master, Rabbi, however you're calling him, have mercy on us. And it says, when he saw him, he said to them, now I want you to listen to his words here. Tell me what you hear. Go and show yourselves to the priests. That's what you heard. Now, that has a little more meaning than we'd put to it, but what do you hear said when you hear that? Go and show yourselves to the priests. What's Jesus saying? Shoot. Go. Right, first word. Go. What does go mean? Don't stay where? Don't stay here. Don't stay here. Go somewhere else. All right, so go, and he gives them, he tells them, he says, show yourself to the priest. So what is that? Well, what would we call that? Did he ask them a question? Did he make a statement? What was he saying? He gave them a, a command. Yeah, so in response to them asking him, Jesus, and really they were looking for some kind of mercy, they're saying, Jesus, Master, Rabbi, have some kind of mercy on us. He responded with a command, and the command was, go, show yourselves to the priests. That was his command. That was it. And so, what was the expectation there that Jesus had? What do you think his expectation was? Obedience. Obedience, yeah. Obedience. Simple obedience. Simple obedience. Now, they would have understood the command because if you read in, if you've read Leviticus and you've read Deuteronomy, one of the things was that when you contracted the disease, you had to go show yourself to the priest. And then the priest would decide what would happen to you. Usually banishment. Alright? And so the priest is the one that had you banished. So if you were going to claim at some point that you've been healed or cleansed, you'd have to go show yourself to the priest again. And so when Jesus gave them the command, he said, go show yourself to the priest, they could have understood that to mean he's saying that we're going to be cleansed and we need to show ourselves to the priest. They could have understood it that way. Or they could have just understood it as a very simple command for something for them to do. Regardless, Jesus' expectation was that they were going to do it. Did he give them any guarantees? No. Did he even say they were going to be healed? Did he come right out and say it? No. No, he didn't. Say, okay, you're going to be cleansed. No. Have mercy on us. Okay, I'll have mercy on you. He didn't say that either. He didn't say anything about that. They, they very specifically asked the rabbi, asked Jesus, they said, well, you have mercy on us. That was specifically what they were asking for. And his response was a command. With, I believe, a clear expectation for obedience. And, and you can look at this and you can say, okay, well then, what would you do? You got up the, the courage to go because you ain't got nothing to lose. You're falling apart anyway. So you got the courage. You saw Jesus come in. You yelled out. You said, hey, have mercy on us. And he gave you a command. What are your choices at that point? When Jesus gives you a command, what are your choices? Do or don't. You do or you don't. Those are the simple choices. Most Christians will never say, I won't do it. What they do instead is make something else up. All right? And that's just, that's what I'm telling you, all right? Most Christians will not just look at God and say, I'm not going to do what you just told me to do. They'd be better off they did do that. They'd be much better off like spiritually and in their own spiritual health if they just looked at God and said, I'm not going to do that. Much better off. 
But instead of doing that, instead of having whatever it is, stupidity, courage, whatever you want to call it, to just say to God, I'm not going to do it, what they do instead is just change His command to something they want to do. They make something up. So, the reality of it is, as believers, the more likely scenario in our life is that we ask for something, Jesus gives us a command, we're either going to do what He tells us to do, or we're going to make something else up. That's the reality of it. That is the reality of our response to it. And so these guys could have made something else up, they were probably more likely just to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And just went back to being whatever they were doing, going falling apart in the village, or whatever they were doing. But more likely they thought to themselves, do I have anything to lose? Recognizing their state. In other words, they're lepers. Their skin is rotting off their body. There is no cure for this. There's no hope for it, except for supernatural intervention. They took the step to ask the master, to ask the rabbi, would you have mercy on us? Because they heard that other people have been cleansed of their leprosy. So they took that shot and they said, will you have mercy on us? And he responded with a command. The reality of that is, do they have anything really to lose by going to show themselves to the priest? I mean, are they busy? Are they that busy they can't go show themselves to the priest? Probably not. They're probably not that busy at all. And they have nothing to lose. So they go show themselves to the priest and they still have leprosy. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? The same thing is happening right now. The same thing that is happening right now is going to happen if they go and show themselves to the priest and he looks at him and says, yep, you got leprosy. You're banished. Still banished. Go on back to where you just were. They weren't busy anyway, so if it takes them a whole day to get there and a whole day to get home, who cares? Who cares? And so, so I want you to... That, that's number one. The second thing is I want you to take that obedience... And apply a little bit of faith to it. Because it seems like they might have had a little bit of faith. They may have had enough faith to say, oh, I've heard Jesus has healed people before. Maybe he'll heal me. See, that's a little bit of faith right there. Or when he said, go, go and show yourselves to the priest, he gives a command. Maybe there's a little faith in that that said, well, that must mean he's going to cleanse us because why else would the priest need to see us? Let's go. So there's a little bit of faith, but about 99% obedience in that, really. About 99%. It's just a simple command to go and do something. And so he said, go. No promises. No outcomes. No if-thens. No, you know, I'll, I'll honor this. I'll honor your obedience by doing that. He didn't say that. None of that. None of those things happen. Just a simple command and they're expected, I believe, by Jesus to just go do it. And they did. They did exactly what he expected them to do. And what happened was is that by doing that, by their simple act of obedience, cleansing was released over them. There was a release. I'm a firm believer that our simple obedience releases things into our lives. I do believe that. Now, every time? No. I can't say that. I can't say every time I obey that something cool gets released into my life. Like I can't say I'm healed or I can't say that provision comes every single time or anything like that. Because to me, simple obedience is a way to live. It's not like a one-time event. It's not just something you do one time because you think you're going to get something out of it. Because that's probably the time you don't when you think like that. And there's something, there's something powerful about just hearing God and doing what he, had, what he says. And you've heard me say this for years, some of you. 
And I really believe there's something to that because I believe there's a release that takes place, whether it's evident that or not. Whether you can see it or you can receive it right then or not, but something gets released. You read in the Scriptures and you look at people who just simply obey. And you look at the response that God has to that. Not that He announces it ahead of time. Not that He says, here's what I'm going to do or anything like that in each of the situations in our life where He just calls it to simply obey. But you look in the Scriptures and you begin to follow people that live that way. And what you see is you see blessings, you see provision, you see healing, you see power, you see authority being released on those people. And it may not be conventional either. It may not be something that the world looks at and says, wow, that guy's definitely in charge. Like that kind of authority. Because I wonder what they thought of Jesus. Really? I mean, obviously not much. They came and they arrested him and they put him on trial and they had him crucified. They obviously didn't think much of it. And yet here's a man that did everything. According to him, he did everything that his father told him to do. That's 100% obedience. And you see released into his life. You see power released into his life. You see righteousness and holiness. And you see uh, the blessings of God all over him. You see provision released into his life. You see all those things released into his life. And you see the same things in the apostles. And you see the same things in the Old Testament with the prophets. How those type things were released into their life in simple obedience. Abraham. Noah. Simple obedience. And how God released provision. How God released, even in, in Abraham, how He released His promise that's still being fulfilled this, to this day. Thousands of years later, was released through an act of simple obedience. You look at Moses' life, and you see the times when he's not obedient. And then you see when he is obedient. And see what's released in and through his life through obedience. There's something powerful about that. Even ten lepers. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't even matter about your religious affiliation. Like where you come from. Remember, one of those lepers, we don't know it yet because they're still lepers, and nothing else matters except for their lepers. But one of them is a Samaritan. And the Jewish people didn't believe, those people even knew God. They didn't believe God cared about them. They believed the wrong thing. They worshipped at the wrong place. They were foreigners. They were aliens. They were people that, that didn't belong. They weren't part of God's chosen people. They weren't part of the descendants that were blessed in their belief system. But even one of those people, through simple obedience, one of them receives. He was cleansed. In fact, all ten of them were cleansed as they went. It wasn't even when they decided to go. It wasn't when the decision was made in their brain. It's when they actually started walking towards showing themselves to the priest that they discovered that they were cleansed. And remember, this is the letter of the command. In other words, you can't just make something up and expect the blessing. You can't make something up and expect the cleansing. You can't make something up and expect that God's going to move at all. Even if you have a little bit of faith and you're making something up, it doesn't work. It does not work. There's a combo here that you've got to keep in mind. That's that faith added to that obedience, meaning what He actually said, that releases something. Something. In this case, it was cleansing. So as they went, as they went, it says, as they obeyed, that they were cleansed. What I want you to see from this is that they were in that moment. They were participating and living in that moment. They weren't living in the past. Why did this happen to me? Why am I a leper? Why did I shake that guy's hand? Why did I, you know, whatever it was, whatever caused it. You know, I'm so stupid. I deserve this. This is my fault. 
This isn't God's problem. This is my problem. So this is the way it goes. They weren't living in the past. That's all in the past. They had leprosy, right? I mean, too late. Time to move on. So you can't live in the past, so you're living in the present. They weren't living too far in the future, I don't think. You know, they weren't worried about it. What if we go to the priest and, and then we still have leprosy and they're going to think we're stupid? Oh, no, they won't think you're stupid. They just think you're still lepers, see? Because <laughs> having leprosy trumps everything, even stupidity, all right? Yes. <laughs> having, having leprosy means that, that you don't have to worry about even being stupid, all right? So they weren't worried about the future, like what's going to happen. Like, yeah, you know. Maybe they had a leprous cat that they, you know, as a pet. What's going to happen to the cat if we all get cleansed? I mean, you know, they're not worried about the future. I don't know. They have a dog with a mange. I don't know what's going on, you know. Who's going to feed the dog? I mean, I don't know. Jesus will cleanse the dog, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they weren't that worried about the future. And, and even people judging them, right? Well, you're supposed to be 100 paces off. What are you doing down here with the priest? Uh, Jesus told me to show myself to him. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. You see, they weren't worried about that. They weren't worried about what if. What if we still have leprosy and we're walking downtown? What if we still have leprosy and people see us? What if we still have leprosy and we're at the priest's house and he gets all irritated with us? What if the cops are called? What happens if this happens? What is that? Yeah, they're living in the moment. What was the moment? The moment was they asked for help and Jesus responded by giving them a direct command. And they were obeying the command. That's the moment. That's it. They lived in the moment and I believe God blessed that. He blessed that. And there's something that happens. There's something that happens as they were walking along in obedience. As they were obeying. They were obeying. In the act of obedience, obeying. See, they were obeying, and something happened in that moment where cleansing was released, healing was released, wholeness was released. In that moment, while they were obeying, in the act of obeying, that was released, and, it, and a grateful heart was also released over them. A thankful heart. At least over one of them. Because something happened, and I want you to consider this, that all ten of them were cleansed. All ten of them received physical healing, but one of them got changed on the inside. One of them. Nine of them all got changed on the outside. And there's a big premium on getting changed on the outside from people. There really is. People really think that's important. But of the ten of them that were changed on the outside, one of them got changed on the inside. And it was that guy. That, that, that grateful heart was released in him. Along with cleansing of the outside, a grateful heart was released on the inside. And so he started to spring forth in worship spontaneously. Nobody even had to tell him. Nobody even had to tell him. And so he, he, he's completely cleansed. He notices that as he's obeying, he gets such a grateful heart, he begins to worship and it says that he turned back immediately to go thank Jesus and to worship him. Because you see, that's also the moment. You see? That's the moment. See, the dog in this scenario is that Samaritan guy. He's the dog. And it was after they were all cleansed that he became identified as a Samaritan again. 
You see that? All of a sudden, he's the Samaritan guy. Not the leper. The Samaritan guy. He's that guy. And he immediately turned back to go and to give thanks. And I'm going to say this before I forget it. It's going to be a little bit out of order, but you see, the law required him to go show himself to the priest. And that dog was not only set free of his leprosy, he was also set free of that bondage. That bondage that kept the other nine of them heading toward the priest. He knew he was free. He knew he was free. No man had to tell him he was free. And in that moment, his heart was grateful. And he went back and he worshipped Jesus. The dog got it. And the other guys didn't. Because that's what mattered. That's what mattered. And I think about, you think about Mary and Martha. And their, and their situation where there was all kinds of stuff that needed to get done. And, and Martha took responsibility for it. And she did. And she was working, she was working, she was working. And Mary just sat at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus told her when she complained about it, she's like, no, Mary's chosen what's better. Don't bother her. Because in that moment, yeah, there was all these needs. Yeah, there were all these things that needed to happen. Yeah, there was all this stuff that needed to get done. But in that moment, what was the best thing? That was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary was in the moment. Martha was in the situation. And then you got these guys, you got nine of them. They're all in the situation. They're all cleansed. But only one of them remained in the moment. And that was returning to Jesus with a grateful heart to worship him. And not judging the other guys in any sense because I'm probably more like those guys than I am the, the guy that returned. But I think most of us are. And I think we need to, to let God change our hearts about this. We need to let God begin to change us that we can be a people that can stay in the moment when we need to. And to express ourselves in that moment. Not waiting for a better one, not waiting for a different one, but expressing ourselves in that moment, in, in that time. So, we have a reminder here about we need to have thankful hearts. And that's something that God needs to change on the inside of us. That's not an outside kind of change. That's something that God does on the inside. It's something that God releases on the inside of us, and that's a thankful heart. Because I think ingratitude, if you look at ingratitude in general, I mean, it's pretty universal among human beings. <clears throat> We have to be taught as an as a act of decorum and manners to say thank you. <laughs> because it's un, the ungratefulness in our heart is so universal that in civilized societies we teach our children to say thank you and please. Because if we didn't teach them to say thank you and please, they probably would not. Because that's how ingrained it is in us. But in polite society, we know because we've learned to say those things, whether we believe it or think it, really or not. We've learned to say it. But it points to a bigger, universal, deeply seated issue in us, and that is general ingratitude. And I believe God wants to change that in us. And so I just want to share that with you that that's a matter of us really seeking God to change our hearts. To be grateful. To be thankful. I mean really be thankful. And not just say it because it's the polite thing to say. Even to God. 
Because it is the polite thing to say, but politeness isn't necessarily truth, is it? In fact, a lot of times, politeness is generated to cover up the truth. That's why we're polite. So, in that sense, we can't count on just being polite to God. Because there may be something going on in our hearts, something going on deeper in us, that would be exactly the opposite of that. Or at least some bastardization of that in us. That isn't really the truth. But I believe God can change our hearts. I believe God can, can, can create in us a different heart. That was David's prayer. Create in me, he said, a clean heart. But we could say a grateful heart. And that could be a work of creation that God does in us. To give us that kind of a grateful heart. To give us that, that kind of a heart that, that responds in thanksgiving. Spontaneous, springing forth. That kind of worship. Allowing us to stay in a moment when we need to stay in that moment. To give thanks. To worship. Spend time before God. Because the bottom line is, is that this is what Jesus wants. That's what he wants. You read the end of this. It says, uh, he came back praising God with a loud voice. It says he fell at his feet, is on his face in Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Alright, so now he's a Samaritan. Okay. Verse 17 says, then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? It's what Jesus wants. I mean, clearly. And I want you to see that. that this is what Jesus wants. It's not just an opinion like it's a good idea. Or it's an opinion like, well, it seems like this would be a better way to live. No, this is directly what Jesus is saying that he wants. It says, was no one found to return and give thanks and praise to God except this foreigner? I mean, this is a star right here. The star pupil of the day was the guy that's the dog. He won the prize. He's the only one that came back with a grateful heart. He's the only one that came back giving thanks. He's the only one that came back and worshipped at Jesus' feet. Only one. Because that's what Jesus wanted. But there was only one that did. His choice. And I want you to see that Jesus asked the question, say, there was all their choices. Nine of them made a different choice. Nine of them were still bound. Nine of them were still not changed on the inside. Nine of them had received a physical healing, but had not been changed internally, had not been changed in their spirit, had not been changed in their soul. Nine of them. And they were still going about doing whatever they thought they were supposed to do. This one guy, this dog, had gotten free on the inside and gotten free on the outside and came back and did what Jesus wanted him to do. Give thanks. Stay in the moment. Respond in worship. That's what he wanted. That's what he wants now. That's what he still wants. And we get so bound up, we get so wound up in whatever... In whatever. And, I, and you can talk about whatever that is for as long as you want. We get caught up in our lives, our, our families, our time schedules, our work, or whatever it is. Nope. He wants that. What he wants is you in the moment with him. All that's part of your life. All that is a part of who you are. All that has something to do with you. But he's everything. And when it talks about Jesus being preeminent, that's not number one. That's, that's you make your list, make one through ten, make your list, and he's over all ten. That's preeminent. Not just number one. He's over number one. He's over number two. He's over number three. As you go down your list of all this stuff you think is important in your life, he's over that too. He's not just first in line for your attention. 
And so that preeminence, that whole idea of preeminence places him directly in the middle of what you're doing right now. And it's up to you what decision you're going to make with that. And I've made decisions. I can tell you times in my life where I've made decisions and I and, and, and it's been in one of those moments where I've just decided to keep going and doing something else. Because they want to deal with it. They want to take the time. Or whatever the case may have been. Or I felt like I had other obligations or I felt like there were bigger expectations on me. Bigger than what? God? Yeah. Yeah. And then there were times in my life where Everything I just said was exactly the opposite. That I had people telling me do A, B, and C and I didn't care because I knew what Jesus had for me to do. People expected me to, to do something else or do something over here and I just didn't care. I just didn't care. Remember I was at a... <laughs> this is going to be so hard to explain. I was at this missions rally one time and it's a dinner. And so everybody sits down to dinner and they're having steak or whatever they're having. And I was invited to be the guest speaker because I was a home missionary at the time and I had also been overseas a number of times. And so they invited me to come speak and I was supposed to share some funny stories or some, some interesting stories or some testimonies about some of the stuff that God's done. Keep it light. People are eating. You know, I'm like the uh, before dessert guy, whatever. And so I knew what the expectations were. I'd been to these things before. I had seen what takes place. I knew what every single person in that room expected. I knew it. And plus, they'd given me a detailed piece of paper before I got there telling me what was expected. So in case I had missed it, from my experience there, I had a piece of paper to remind me so I wouldn't mess it up. And so I got up, and, and I remember this clearly, I got up and I was ready to, to tell a story. I had, I had like four or five stories together of different miracles that God had done, different things I had seen. And I got up and I started to tell the first story, and I was going through the first story, and then all of a sudden I got this feel, it's like, you need to start singing. I am not a good singer like that. And I just, as I said, what am I singing? Just whatever I give you. And I remember just, I stopped the story, or I got, I don't know if I got done or I stopped it, and I just busted out in a prophetic song that lasted like five or seven minutes. <laughs> no. So I got done with that. And I and as I, as I told one more story, and then the guy that was running the thing just came up and ushered me off. <laughs> it was done. And I was never asked to do one of those things again, which I now realize was a real blessing, but I didn't realize that at the time. And so there's those moments too. There's moments where uh, I, I was obedient to what God had, and I had pastors stop services. I've had pastors tell me to stop what I'm doing and to pray and end the service. I've had all kinds of things happen to me because I've been on that side of it. Then there was that night I punched the woman in the face when she came up for prayer. and I can just tell you story after story about stuff. Was she healed? Well, she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I slapped her. I didn't punch her. <laughs> it was open-handed, but it was loud. I punched a guy in the stomach and, and he got healed of cancer one time. Yeah. But I got in trouble. Both those times I got in trouble immediately. Right? That cut into my and it cut into my offering too, which I didn't appreciate. Both times. Right. Alright, but then there's been plenty of times where I just ignore it. I just want to get through it, or I'm tired, or I'm not going to deal with it, or, or whatever it is. God wants us in the moment. Because that's when things happen. <laughs> it really is. That's when things happen. That's when things are released. 
in those moments. They're moments of simple obedience, a little bit of faith, moments where we just go about doing what God calls us to do, and whatever happens, happens. Those moments where we respond, when we see something, and we respond in worship, and we respond in thanksgiving, and we're not bound by the expectations of others. We're not bound by the rules and the regulations. And we're not bound by the things that people tell us that we can and we can't do. We're bound by something bigger. And that is our relationship with Christ. Because it's that that sets us free from all that other stuff. It always has. It always will. It set this guy free from the law. It set this guy free from uh, leprosy. It set this guy free to worship God. It set this guy free to take on a new identity. He went from being a leper to back to being a Samaritan to being a follower of Jesus. Later be known as a Christian. Yeah. 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 And there's a, a lot of similarities, if we allow it, between being a leper, and I want you to just think about this for a second, and being a real believer, a real Christian. That a lot of things get erased nationalities, language, all kinds of stuff. Judgments, race. If you're truly in the church, you're truly in the body of Christ, a lot of stuff gets erased. And it should get erased. Because it doesn't matter. Alright? So this guy went from being a leper to being a Christian. Which is still better than being a Samaritan. <laughs> Alright? He's still a leg up on that one. So, uh, all of these things, like I said, continue to point us to the moment. Continue to point us to right now. And for us to be in a place where we're asking God to create in us, to make in us, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a grateful heart tonight. And really just asking for it. It might make you late to a few things. It might. But one thing I've noticed with people, when you're a grateful person, they will bend over backwards to help you. They just will. If you mean it. I'm not talking about being polite. I'm talking about really meaning it and being really thankful. And I think it's what Jesus wants. So as we practice on one another, being really grateful, it becomes second nature to stay in the moment of gratitude with Him. And so let's take a few moments right now, and I just want to encourage you. We're just going to bow our heads and pray. And I just want you to ask God to create in you a, a really grateful heart. And, and the reason I say create is that I'm going to say this again. Ingratitude is universal and deeply seated in each one of us. It's who we are as people. But God can change that. God can make a new heart in us. And you may have never specifically prayed this prayer before, but I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. God created me a grateful heart. Just just right where you're at and in your time, whatever. Just asking for that. And I believe this can be a life-changing moment if we allow it. If we will allow this, if we will really allow this, 
it can change the way that we relate to one another and it can change fundamentally the way that we relate to Jesus. He wants it. That's why he, he's looking for this in you. And so, Father, as we ask you, we, we do, we pray that in us you create a grateful heart. God, I thank you that you're more than able to do it. You are the creator. You are the one who is able to do anything. Uh, your word says that uh, you ordained that our hearts would be changed, that your law would be written on our hearts, that we'd relate to you directly, that we would know you, that God, you would, uh, we would be in fellowship with you, we'd be in communion with you. And it's through those things that we find ourselves, we find ourselves free. And we find ourselves uh, in, a, in a place of service, but in a place of more than just service, really of, of usefulness. A place where there's a future. A place where we're effective and made effective by you place of provision, a place of peace, a place of Sabbath and rest, a place of joy. Just say thanks, God. And we want to say thank you for the big things and thank you for the little things. But I pray that from a grateful heart we will respond to one another and we'll continue to respond to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. 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 amen.